I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 270 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Devin Pearson, a hypnotist, modern-day wizard, and the host of this podcast is a ritual. Be sure to check out his websites, pearsonisawake.com and changeyourmindky.com and follow him at Instagram at Person is awake and change your mind KY. You can also support his work at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash this podcast is a ritual. Carl and I are supporters of Devin's work via Patreon and we highly recommend you joining as well. You can also support Rendering Unconscious Podcast at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Rendering Unconscious Podcast is a labor of love and the only support that comes to the podcast is via our Patreon community. So please join us at Patreon. Your support is so very appreciated. You can also view Devin and my conversation at our YouTube channel, Trapart Film at YouTube. Just search for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. And links can be found to everything at the main website, renderingunconscious.org. Hey, Devin. I'm so happy to have you here on Rendering Unconscious. I'm so happy. I'm fully conscious, awake, alert, ready to go. You're not unconscious? I'm not unconscious yet, but we'll see at the end. <laughs> we'll see if we can render you unconscious by the end of this hour. Yeah. So where do you want to begin? Let's start at the beginning. What's the beginning? Well, I don't know. which. Wh- wh- I uh, My story goes in a variety of directions. It's kind of nonlinear. Do you want me to start with my origin story or do we want to hop around? We can do whatever. I like free association. So wherever the train of thoughts leads us, I'm happy to go. Well, you know, I think I will start with my origin story because next week uh, is going to be November 30th. And that's going to be the five year anniversary of my podcast, but the nine year anniversary of my original ritual to turn myself into a wizard. So, you know, obviously I had a life before that, but that's kind of the uh, genesis moment that everything else uh, spills forth from. Perfect. And I can even put this out so that it celebrates that anniversary. Well, there we go. Look at that. I skipped you to the front of the line. The stars have aligned. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. You want me to just jump in and tell the tale? Yeah. Okay. So I moved to New York City in 2013 and thought I was going to go into television writing. And that didn't work out. And so I was like doing improv classes and other stuff. And I had maybe kind of a quarter life crisis, a Saturn return, where I thought, you know what? I've just kind of bounced from project to project throughout my 20s. I've never really stuck with anything. And I kind of want to see what happens if I stick with something. Like I've seen, you know, friends in bands where 
they weren't getting anywhere for the first eight years and then 10 years in they're like opening for metallica on a national tour and it's like wow that's really cool i'm glad you guys hung in there so 2014 was what i called my egg year and i said this is the year where i'm not gonna like do the thing but i'm gonna figure out what the thing is so i spent a lot of time reflecting pondering um really trying to think you know what would i like to do when i grow up and that led me to think about what does growing up mean and I think our culture has this like weird kind of idea of like, when is growing up? Is it your 20s? Is it your 30s? At a certain point, you've already grown up. So what are you going to do now? And I was like, well, what if grown up is all the way grown up? What if it's when you're all the way as old as you're going to be? That gives me a lot more time to figure this out. I can kind of work very slowly, which is great. And I've always been interested in magic, but I've always kind of approached it from a weird idiosyncratic psychological chaos magic paradigm and for the most part it was kind of private i wasn't really active in occult groups or circles it was just something that if i had a little bit too much to drink at a bar i'd be like all right let me tell you what i think about the nature of reality and would be a little embarrassed about it but like really enjoyed those conversations so in the course of that year i decided that the world is getting weirder all the time and that if I went to go get some certificate in UX design or whatever was hot in that moment, by the time I was like ready to start my career, the world would have moved on. They wouldn't need that. We've got AI to do that. Like, see you later, buddy. So I said, I need to aim ahead of the target by being something weirder than what already exists. So I decided to become a wizard. I said, I'll figure it out. I, I'm going to be a wizard when I'm grown up, which I'm, you know about to turn 30 at that time. So I've got plenty of time before I'm going to be a very, very old man. And so I can take my time maturing into this archetype. And it'll be kind of an exchange, right? Like me as an individual human will benefit because people like the word wizard. If you say, I'm going to go have dinner with a wizard next week, people go, oh, what? Whereas if you say, I'm going to have dinner with my friend Devin, they're like, okay, that's fine. So there's a benefit to me with this kind of social capital of the wizard archetype. But the wizard archetype also benefits by me embodying it in this world and talking about what it means on podcasts, my own podcast, writing books, all those sorts of things. So as I was approaching uh, November 30th, which was the arbitrary date that I picked when I could rent a rehearsal studio in Manhattan, um, I was putting together a ritual to say, this is the line in the sand where I'm going to declare myself a wizard. I'm going to invoke this archetype and I'm going to create this shift into a more magical reality. And as I approached that, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I need help. And if anyone could help me, it would be the wizard I could one day become. Like if I think about this moment, I don't believe that I can hop into an alternate reality or go back in time, but the future seems pretty flexible and wide open. So from this moment, if I think about the timelines where I do the wizard project for a month and then I give up, the ones where I do it and it's just a complete disaster and failure, the ones where it's amazing and I'm successful, out of all of those possibilities, there's got to be one where I'm the most wizardly wizard I could possibly hope to be. So I said, okay, that's who I'm going to ask for help. So my ritual was about contacting my future self and saying, hey, you've done all of these things. You've had all of these setbacks, you've overcome challenges, you've figured out what it means to be a wizard. Now you're at the end of your life. You are the most powerful wizard I could imagine. Send your magic back in time to help me 
become you. And I'm just going to trust this process. So when I don't get the job that I apply for, when, you know, somebody dumps me, when these life setbacks happen, I'm going to take them in stride as best as I can, trusting that this is the winding path that my wizardry will take. So I performed this ritual. Um, on the other side of it, I, you know, I think sometimes we all want like movie magic. We want the candles to blow out and a spirit to just speak, you know, in an ominous voice. And we're like, that's really real. I didn't really quite get that. Um, so I was kind of just puttering around for the next few weeks. And then uh, my knee exploded. I've had a rare knee condition throughout my 20s, and it had been pretty dormant in New York, thank God. And then it got worse than ever. So it was swollen to the size of a grapefruit. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. And I was stuck at home thinking that I was going to have to get a surgery, which the last doctor I'd seen said, avoid this surgery for as long as you can. Like, people get this surgery. It takes forever to recover from. Your condition can still come back with it. Like, just avoid it like the plague. So I finally went to go see a doctor, a specialist in New York, who had written a paper on my condition, which again was quite rare. And when I went to see him, he said, no, 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 we're not going to do surgery for this. Um, our hospital is actually the hospital that is doing a trial for a new experimental, eh, experimental medication for people with your condition. So we can get you into this trial. But I have to warn you, this drug has a side effect. It's going to turn all of your hair white. And so, yeah, I started uh, jumping up and down excitedly in his office. He was very caught off guard by that. And that began my wizard journey. That was the universe giving me a thumbs up that I was on the right track. So I got on these meds. Uh, my hair turned completely white. I, I looked kind of like an Andy Warhol albino. Um, that was very useful for getting started since I was a, you know, very young wizard. Uh, and I've just been trying to figure out what that means since then. Interesting. And then what made you decide to start your podcast? Well, everything that I've done since then has kind of been based in this question of what would a wizard do? So for a while, I was just walking around and telling people I was a wizard. Then I got a set of fancy wizard robes. Uh, I've got my lovely hat right here. Uh, and all of that was kind of coming, you know, synchronistically one step at a time. I wrote a short book, but I wanted it to be a magical artifact. So there was only a very limited run. So people would find out about my wizardry and they go, this is so cool. How do I, what do I do with it? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, there's a book you can't get. That's pretty but it much will it. will be coming in the future. <laughs> well, there's there's another new book in the future, but this this original one was was just a physical artifact that was one and done. And so eventually I realized I need a kind of landing place for people who are interested in this. So five years ago, I started a podcast, um, had another similar like thinking my way through it. And it's called This Podcast is a Ritual. And the idea is that the podcast itself is a magic ritual that we can kind of view outside of time as a single artifact. So there's an initial moment where I'm recording in a room with the people that were there for the opening ceremony. And at that point, there was only 42 people who had ever heard it. It was one thing that happened live in a room. But then as it went out online, other people tuned in and listened. And you could kind of imagine that audience growing. I've had guests on. I've had guests come back. I've had you know listeners. We've interacted. And over time, 
the podcast has grown its listenership. And so I like to think about the way that a podcast, even like this one, we're having a conversation in one time, but somebody who's listening to it while making dinner six months from now is in a different time, yet they're still in this shared time with us. So by approaching the whole project with that awareness, you know, eventually there's going to be a final episode and eventually, hopefully far beyond that, there's going to be a final listener. There's going to be one last person or entity or alien AI hybrid that tunes in and, you know, finishes their dissertation on wizardry in the early 21st century. And, you know, that's the last listener. So um, thinking about the podcast itself as this kind of meta object um, viewed from outside of time, um, everyone that listens to it or has come on it is participating in that ritual. You've been on it. You're a part of that ritual. And the goal is to uh, create a slightly better reality. I love it. It was a really fun podcast uh, to do. And so, yeah, definitely everyone, after you listen to this episode, go check out this podcast is a ritual. It's yeah, super how to, fun. How to Psychoanalyze with Dr. Vanessa Sinclair is an <laughs> episode I'd recommend. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then how did you get into hypnosis? So hypnosis is one of those funny ones where... Um, I've been reading this book. I've been really into this guy, James Hillman, lately. And uh, I've been reading his book, The Soul's Code, where he's talking a lot about the idea of the daemon or the genius, this, you know, fate that kind of pulls you towards its destiny. And so even though there's a later part where, you know, hypnosis and wizardry intersect for me, it goes all the way back to when I was a kid and I had a wart that kept coming back on my elbow. Uh, my father taught nuclear physics, and so he was like, well, if we take you to the doctor, they're just going to put liquid nitrogen on it, and I have a bunch of liquid nitrogen at my office. So we would go to his office, he would uh, burn off the wart, we'd do some liquid nitrogen tricks, and then, you know, three months later, it would come back, and I was like, oh, okay, we're getting tired of doing this. So eventually, I went to a doctor, and the doctor referred me to a hypnotist who, you know did this kind of guided visualization, thinking about it. And eventually the wart did go away. I can't say there's a direct causality there. But that planted that seed where I was like, hypnosis, huh? This is such a weird thing where it's kind of like in our culture, but is it real or are we afraid of it? Like, I hear this all the time. Like the top two questions are, is it real? And isn't that dangerous? Can't you control people and make them do things? And it's kind of weird to me that our culture has this thing of like, we don't know if this is real, but we're terrified of it. And so I just kind of was curious about it for a while. I experimented with a couple of girlfriends trying to hypnotize them and was um, astonishingly successful, uh, astonishing both myself and my partner. And then eventually I ended up going to a hypnosis conference early on in my wizard transformation. And I had this moment sitting there watching demonstrations going, oh, this is incredible. This is this is this is my wizardry. Like, I'm never going to shoot fireballs or summon dragons on command or do like movie magic that people think of when they think of Gandalf or Harry Potter. But the effects that you can do with hypnosis are so transformative and so powerful that, yes, I need to do more with this. So I um, studied in New York. Um, I used to do corporate meditations where I would really just use a lot of hypnotic language and I'm going to be like, wow, that was the best meditation I've ever experienced. And it's like, 
yeah, it's kind of cool when you use your unconscious to get somewhere rather than trying to just clear your mind, although that has benefits too. Um, and then eventually um, I moved out of New York and moved to Kentucky. I was tired of what I'd been doing uh, in tech, although my official title was product wizard. I'd gotten that <laughs> out of a startup. Um, and I decided that, you know, as much as I love the wizardry costume and character and all of these elements, it's a hurdle. People are interested in me and my story as a wizard, but it wasn't connecting with what I think is the true role of a wizard as a people helper. They're there to guide the hero on the journey in the Campbell sense. They're the gatekeeper, the, the old man that is ushering you into the underworld. And so when I got to Kentucky, I realized I want to just try putting up a shingle and just offering myself as a hypnotherapist and seeing how that goes. And it was incredible. You know, I tell people I'm a wizard. They ask about me. I say I'm a hypnotherapist. They say, oh, my God, I have this anxiety. I have this phobia. Can you help me with this? And I, you know, it's funny because I spent a long time in New York walking around in wizard robes. And now when I go see clients, I don't wear my wizard robes. But I feel even more like a wizard because I've been able to see people um, let go of lifelong phobias, you know, have really powerful change. Um, I, you know, I, you do work in this realm as well. Um, but it's, I think, such a beautiful thing to be able to help people um, use imaginary concepts to solve real problems. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's super interesting. Not, you know, you're like a covert wizard. <laughs> right. It's fun sometimes. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody who does like a little bit more Googling and they're like, I found out you're a wizard. I was, also on, <laughs> I was also Same. on the cover of the local paper. So, you know, sometimes they find out. Um, <laughs> and then that's fun. So I've started a thing on my podcast that I'm calling Wisno Therapy, where it's kind of blending both of those worlds where, you know, we might go with some hypnosis or we might kind of create a ritual or a spell which I think is a way of kind of working with the unconscious um, in a tactile manner. You know, the the mind thrives on image and symbol. And so, you know, having someone smash a pinata as part of a ritual to get over a toxic X uh, can be surprisingly effective. Yeah, I mean, there can be a lot of uh, overlap between like psycho psychological techniques and uh, magical techniques, especially if you think of magic from a psychological lens more than from like working with various entities that you believe are outside of yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think I've been really trying to find a, a balance between those perspectives because I used to be much more in the psychological realm, but now thinking about the way that you know, various archetypes and gods and whatever personified forces move through us as what we experience as, you know, challenges or joy or these other moods um, kind of uh, has has shifted my worldview a little bit and helped me appreciate um, the power of all of these different forces and letting go of some of that idea of, um, you know, oh, we got to get rid of the anxiety. That's one of the bad ones. And instead, with a lot of clients being like, what is your anxiety telling you? Let's like, let's pick up the phone and get the message before we keep trying to take the phone off the hook. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it keeps coming back because you need to like figure out why it's happening or what it means or what it's saying. It's there for mm -hmm. a reason. It's not just like randomly trying to make you suffer. I think this comes up in our culture in ghost stories, you know, where it's these things that have been left behind by our contemporary culture. They're from an older world. And we 
the characters start by trying to get rid of them, go away, I don't want you. And then eventually we realize, oh, they're literally just here because they have unfinished business and they're trying to give us a message. And uh, by accepting that message, uh, the hauntings tend to uh, kind of release and dissipate. Exactly, exactly. I often try to think about it that way that these are like messages and you have to like tune in you can't just like keep trying to push things out or block things out because then it'll just come back stronger because it's trying to tell you something mm-hmm. yeah i've i've really in this um to celebrate the anniversary of the podcast i've been doing calls with listeners and doing these one-on-one wisdom therapy sessions as part of a thing called talk to the wizard and it's been fun because there's been a pattern in a few of them where we start with the presenting problem we go on this whole journey and then we come back around and realize that this is actually like an empowering thing and a, and a thing that we can embrace. One person wanted clarity because they felt like an imposter and they were struggling with imposter syndrome. And we eventually realized, well, your, your family was in the military. You moved constantly. You've always had to adapt. You've always been interested in different subjects. You have this powerful curiosity. So instead of trying to wrestle with this imposter syndrome and get rid of it, I was like, you are an imposter and that's your superpower. You're able, you're a secret agent. You're able to blend into communities. And that is something that is going to be so good. And they were like, you know, 180 shift. It's so true. That's another Mm -hmm. thing I think about all the time. It's like people often are having symptoms because they're trying to like fit themselves into boxes they think they should be in like I should mm-hmm. be like this or I should do this or whatever if it keeps not working is not making you feel good then there's yeah. probably a reason like maybe you shouldn't be that way maybe instead of like trying to imagine like how you should be try to understand how you are and then mm-hmm. harness that so that you can use it to the maximum absolutely yeah couldn't agree more work with yourself instead of against yourself yeah Totally. And then we also have to talk about your trip to Sweden because you were in Sweden <laughs> over the summer. How's I it been since you've been back? Well, it's been, I miss you terribly. Yes. Uh, Lisa Ann, my partner uh, who came with me on that trip, uh, we were talking about that last night. We're like, oh, we miss them so much. It was so fun getting to stay with you and Carl and Linnea. And uh, yeah, we had a, just absolutely incredible time. And It was really cool because that was an experiment um, for the podcast where I did a whole mini series called Denhar Poldenaran Ritual, where it was talking with you and Carl and other people in Sweden in advance and kind of planting seeds. And I think that really had a powerful impact where, you know, if our mutual friend had just said, hey, this American wizard is going to show up at your doorstep, I think it would have been a different experience than having talked with you and Carl in advance and then the way you guys welcomed us and we were able to... Uh, bond so quickly I think was really uh, profound yeah it was super fun it was great to have you here and you're welcome back anytime oh we're gonna be back next year don't you worry (laughs) good we're not we've decided we're not going anywhere in the summers we didn't go anywhere this summer we stayed in Sweden and it was plenty busy because it's so nice here in the summer and so many people visited and it was really nice and so like I like all friends out there never invite me anywhere in the summer. I'm never leaving Sweden in the summer ever again. But invite (laughs) you somewhere in the winter, right? Yeah, exactly. Please invite (laughs) me to your warm, sunny paradise in January, (laughs) February, March, all of those months would be great. Yeah. Yeah, But it was, it was a beautiful trip. It was so um, synchronistic and magical. And I think, um, 
you know, there's all these kind of layered meta concepts and that sort of comes with wizardry. But I thought it was fascinating because I was creating this podcast art sigil project around the trip to Sweden that was kind of bookending it and guiding it. And then during that, um, hanging out with you and Carl and Carl had his book of interviews he'd done with Genesis Peorage when they were traveling and doing a similar thing. And I was like, oh, I think that's such a cool idea. Sometimes we go on a trip and we have a very vague intention. Maybe we are not even fully conscious of it. Are we going to relax? Are we going to have a cultural experience? Are we going to do the things we're supposed to do? Whereas if you think about what your intention is for that trip, not being rigid, but letting that kind of guide you, um, you know, I think even just picking a totemic symbol and saying, oh, okay, you know, like if we, my partner is a poet, so we picked a typewriter and a gnome and we were always kind of on the lookout of like, oh, there's a typewriter in that storefront. Let's go in, you know, let's see where that cookie crumb is leading us to. That's perfect. Yes, it's it goes with a magical worldview, right? It's like mm-hmm. you have a general kind of idea of like what your goal is or something or what your aim yeah. is, but you have to be flexible and like see where the synchronicities lead you and like see where those little symbols pop up and go the direction. You can't be too rigid about how you want it to play out or what the end result exactly will be. I always think about magic like a Christmas gift and I think hopefully everyone's received one of those gifts where you said something offhand six months ago and like somebody heard that and listened and they got you this thing that like you wanted, but you weren't expecting. And it's just this amazing, like, wow moment. And you can see that they're so happy to give it to you. And it's like, those are the really memorable gifts, I think. Whereas if you wrote a list of the PlayStation 2 games that you wanted your grandparents to buy for you on Amazon, and then they did. It's like, okay, well, I got the things that I wrote down, but I don't know. It's it's kind of whatever. It's kind of like, eh. So I think magic is that interplay between getting what you wanted, but also not getting what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Getting what you didn't know that you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it's 100%. sometimes even better. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah I think of like our house as that like Carl had this fantasy of this house but I didn't know that this existed because I'm from the U.S. and this doesn't exist there (laughs) this is older than the U.S. (laughs) so yeah so I'm like oh okay I didn't know I wanted this but I sure like it yeah absolutely (laughs) I didn't know I wanted to live in a tiny town in rural Sweden but it's great I mean I moved from New York City to uh, Kentucky and you know, it's it's great because there's still moments that my partner and I will look at each other and be like, how did we end up here? But it's perfect and we love it. And we're part of a vibrant community and we got all of the things that we were hoping for and a whole lot that we hadn't even known were possible. Absolutely. Um, I'm Yeah, I'm happy to be out of the city. It's nice. I just went to Hamburg to visit my friend, little Annie. She was playing there with Paul Walfish and it was really nice. Um, to see her and it's fun to like drive somewhere I love little road trips mm-hmm. but yeah it was just like oh I miss Mimmerby and the poppy <laughs> and yeah. Carl of course <laughs> there was um, an Ursula Le Guin quote that I was uh, thinking about a lot um, as I did this trip through Sweden and it's um, true voyages returned and so I think this idea about yeah you have to kind of leave to get that external perspective on where you're at that when you're 
just in that moment, it's a little bit hard sometimes. And so um, one of the concepts I always talk about with wizardry is the wizard exists in the wider perspective. You know, the hero is like, ah, there's a bad guy. And I'm, and the wizard's like, oh, this happens all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> I had to fight a bad guy. This is a recurring cycle. Like, don't worry about it. Um, but I think that's what, you know, psychedelics or therapy or creative practices or physical travel, they all give us this opportunity to kind of step out into a wider perspective and look back and say, oh, that's where I am. Those are the things that are going on. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe there's things that I want to shift or maybe there's things that I want to appreciate more. But um, sometimes it just helps to have a different view. Totally. In Sweden, they say, best. away is good, but home is best. <laughs> <laughs> I like that phrase too. Yeah. We have it hanging up on the wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we also have to talk about River's wonderful Art 23 Magic Retreat. That was such a lovely that uh, was week really that cool. she set up. Yeah. What, um, what stuck out for you in that experience? Well, the food. Yeah. <laughs> the people yeah the setting and reading my book that was really big when you came over was it awesome. was like really like uh and that writing making that book was real ordeal it is done now by the way yeah. it is I heard, finished yeah. that's amazing and it is on carl's desk and carl is reading it and making final edits awesome. um and that's a relief because <laughs> yeah. it was really an ordeal and like really difficult for me and much more than I imagined but obviously like yeah dealing with the the material and I had imagined also that I had started writing it because my friend was killed but then when I went through my like notebooks and things um, when I was pulling material for it I actually had started it like the day she was killed before wow. I knew she was killed, which is wow. also really eerie. And yeah. it was like, and it was like, uh, yeah, like I had had the ideas in the months prior to like make this book. I mean, I had, I had had the ideas, the idea to write a book about these like wild Miami experiences. Cause it's just like, it was such a weird place and a weird time. Yeah. Like in basically in 2008, when I had finished my uh, doctorate and had moved to California for my first like postdoc job working at a student counseling center. And then, you know, it was 2007, 2008 and the economy collapsed and, you know, Bush was out and Obama was coming in. And so they just cut like the entire student counseling department because mm -hmm. the econ of the e economy. And so like, they're just like, well, students don't need counseling. And <laughs> I was like, but I just moved. I like literally drove myself from, Miami to like Northern California, like with yeah. all my stuff in the back of the car. Like, what do I do now? And they're like, well, you can collect unemployment. And I was like, but I just got a doctorate. It's like, this yeah. isn't how this is supposed to go. They're like, I came here to do a counseling thing. And they're like, no, you came here to figure things out so you could write a book and move to Sweden. Yeah, in 15 years. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. So I actually like, yeah, took the like six months that I was unemployed and started writing all these little stories down. Um, and then I didn't do anything with it until, yeah, like the summer of 2020, when I started, maybe because of all the crisis that was happening with COVID mm. and stuff. I don't know. And Jen had died. And yeah. 
So maybe I was like, I need to like make a document of this. Like maybe it was having Another like existential point, yeah. fear. Yeah. And and I started collecting stories together and like writing things down. And then I actually like brought out my typewriter and like started writing the first page, like 8.30 a.m. I even wrote it yeah. in my journal on, on the day she was killed. And they wow. said that she probably died around 2 a.m., which in Miami yeah. would have been like the same time that I was writing. Wow. So that was kind of wild to find out. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the whole thing was like a, a bit of an ordeal to put together. And now it's like, yeah, three years in the making. And Carl had said after that retreat and the reading went so well, that was really helpful for me to like get motivated to wrap it up because I was kind of thinking like, forget this. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to work on it anymore. You know, it's too hard. I I'm remember the moment it. that we shared where you had expressed that you were like, uh, I'm not sure if I want to read because I don't want to bum everybody out. Like there's, you know sort of dark stuff in this material and i think you and i had a one-on-one conversation where i was like vanessa like don't hold back from that it's really helpful for other people to see that like i think when we live in a sanitized world where it's just only the good things on social media we feel very alone in our pain and our neuroses and our difficulties because everything else is sunny and bright and great and like we're the only ones that are struggling but when we see somebody authentically telling true stories about difficult times, we connect with our own experience of grief, loss, turmoil, uncertainty, and it's powerful. And I mean, you read for like two hours or something. It was wild. <laughs> and everyone was just on the edge of their seat. I don't think a single person got up to go to the bathroom. Like everyone was just totally enwrapped. And, um, you know, after you left too, people continue to talk about it and how it resonates and also very cool to hear just a bunch of fun party stories from Miami in that time. <laughs> yeah, it was good times. Um, but yeah, it was really good to hear it. It was really helpful. It was integral to the process to do that reading and have me be like, okay, that's enough. And everyone's like, no. And I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. So I just read until I ran out of pages. Right. Um, so it was really nice. And then, yeah, when we got back, I told Carl, like, okay, I want to wrap this up before, like, Jessica's death day, which is yeah. November 2nd. And I did. And there then visiting little Annie afterwards, going to Hamburg, um, yeah. she called, like, right right before I had wrapped it up. And I told her, like, I'm almost done with the book because it's dedicated to her and Jessica. Mm-hmm. She's the one who wrote the uh, the song that the mm-hmm. book is titled for. Yeah. So, it was, uh, so it was a nice little kind of closure moment to go visit her last week. Um, yeah, and then I'm just so glad that it's done now. So that was a big, that was a big thing for me. My, that was my 2023 ordeal. Yeah. See, it's funny because I'm on the other side of that where since I started being a wizard, I was like, oh, I should write a big book about like all my thoughts about what it means to be a wizard. And then I put it off for quite some time. And then finally was like, okay, I'm at the point where I'm ready. And I started in 2020, like right before the pandemic kicked in and then have continued to work on it and before going to sweden was in the depths of like my second rewrite of this whole massive tome and had this experience of being like okay i'm trying to write about like a playful creative positive magic philosophy but the work that i'm doing of trying to sit down and like get this book out while also running my hypnotherapy practice and also trying to do other things is making me not have time for any of that playful, fun, serendipitous (laughs) magic. So then I feel like a fraud and then it's just kind of grinding. And so I had to just sort of like let it go and just be like, okay, like 
trying to just push this towards an arbitrary deadline I've set is like making me miserable. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to let things rest and find their own time. Um, but previously last year on the anniversary of my ritual, I had done a ritual and thing for the podcast about this book and like getting it out there and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I think, I feel like I should adjust, address this with my listeners and, you know, community and not just be like, where, where'd the book go? So I did a whole episode about um, how to fail and how to kind of accept that and embrace that and learn from that. And again, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, is this like a weird, sad, annoying thing that I'm putting out? Like, who wants to hear this? And then just so many people wrote in and they're like, oh, my God, that resonated. That was so meaningful. So I think um, there's a lot of value in authentically showing these things. I think people also mine, you know, negative experiences for kind of metrics and in a performative way. But I think when you're authentically just sharing those experiences, it, it resonates beyond what you you imagine. Well, the book fragments I have make great cut-ups. Cut <laughs> that shit up and just make a giant cut-up of it and see what it says. <laughs> oh, yeah. I gave you like a whole like Ziploc, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Good, good. I'm, I'm excited that that's been uh, imbuing your your practice with a little extra wizardry. Yeah, it's really fun. They're like perfect cut-ups. So. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll come back to it at some point. <laughs> with new perspectives it can, it can be you could always make a shorter piece of it for fenris wolf in the meantime Ooh, yeah. that, i would, I would love a, to yeah. pull a shorter piece out of it and send it to carl for the next fenris wolf i will absolutely do that yeah yes do that yeah, yeah. i bet there's a there's a fun section um i i analyze because it's um the book's about wizardry theory and practice little nod to crowley there um but talking about the wizard archetype i explore it in history with the different like you know real people um or figures like merlin that are you know more legend but kind of have a kernel of of history there um and then also fictitious wizards but what i think gives wizardry its power is that it it sort of exists um more in that imaginal fantastic realm than it does like it kind of grows out of history but there wasn't really a time like with the witch trials where it was like, oh, there's a bunch of men with long beards and pointy star spangled hats that are like pondering orbs. And, you know, this is like we would see in a cartoon. There's elements of that, but they really get um, condensed by the fiction process and people writing about King Arthur and Merlin and then writing about Gandalf and Harry Potter. And that condenses it down to, uh, this archetypal image that if you saw airbrushed on the side of a van, you would now immediately recognize. Um, but I think that's um, one of the things that I, I find so joyous. And I have some pieces that I can submit to Fenris about that. Perfect. Carl would love it because he loves fiction. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and the power of fiction, the magic of fiction and how, yeah, fiction creates our reality more than reality does. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's something I've been, um, you know, again, in my Hillman exploration, he talks a lot about the power of the mythic image. And when you go back to, you know, cultures with kind of more pristine, unmediated myths, uh, if that or uncontemporarily mediated myths, they're so messy and weird. <laughs> like everyone's like fucking their sister and then eating their kids. And like, there's all of this bizarreness that to our, you know, sanitized modern sensibilities is so shocking and off-putting but i think that's part of the power is that it was unlocking 
things in the psyche that we've um, lost touch with. So um, it's been fun to explore those dimensions. And I've been watching a lot of film lately and trying to re-engage with like film classics, uh, watching Bergman and then reading the essays in the in the lovely book that you and Carl put together. Because um, I think it's very different when you see work by an auteur who is intentionally grappling with those themes versus I still think I can pull plenty out of, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of archetypal elements, but um, they're different because they're they're the product of a giant corporation that's trying to make billions of dollars, not somebody who's trying to talk about the human spirit. Yeah, exactly. Not an artist. Yeah, we're we're diving back into Bergman again because that's what you do in the winter in Sweden. Yeah. And and I've started taking SFE again, Swedish for immigrants, so that nice. I can like get fluent once and for all. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna be. I was like, maybe hopefully I'll be done by June, but I'm thinking now probably it's gonna be the next June. So it's gonna I'm gonna be in it for the long haul, and it's every day from eight to twelve. That's wow. really intensive. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, I live in Sweden. Awesome. I need to be fluent. Yeah. So I'm just going to do it. Um. Yeah. And and I told Carl, we need to make sure we're watching like Swedish TV and movies and not just like American or English speaking, because I need to be hearing it and hearing the different accents. Cause that's really where I'm at. It's like, I can read it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that, but it's like understanding the different accents and then uh, yeah. Being able to speak, you know, on command. That's where I get yeah. tripped up. Yeah. The Bergman Swedish is a little bit harder too. Cause it's a little bit older. Um, I've, I find that like when I watch a, a Swedish film, cause I'm also studying Swedish and I watch a Swedish film, with English subtitles, I have to make a very conscious effort to keep listening and not just like follow along. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, we'll watch stuff on SVTV, the the Swedish state like television channel that has Swedish subtitles and is in Swedish. And I'm like reading a lot, but it's really training my ear. And I'll notice like, you know, the next day I'm like, wow, my Swedish feels a lot more fluid and easy. Um, I found a teen drama program that I love where it's literally just about like high schoolers and there are these little five minute episodes. So it's easy to just kind of watch and pause to look up a word and stuff. But um, that helps. What too, is it? it? I'll have to, I'll, I'll find the, <laughs> I'll, I'll find the title and I'll send it to Do you. Tell. I need good yeah. Swedish shows. Cause I've watched like all the decades and like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what else is there now? I'm watching Alt for Svadia. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. that show or if you get it there. I think it's on mm-hmm. SBT. It's like yeah. basically these Americans who have Swedish ancestry. And it's uh, one of those like game show things where somebody okay. loses the competition every week and then somebody wins yeah. at the end. It starts out with oh, 10 people funny. or whatever. But they basically yeah. like all have Swedish ancestry and then they get to come to Sweden and they tell them um, like they're a little bit of their history. They get like a little treasure chest and they get to open it up. And the the, the com- company who does the program has like done as much ancestry as they possibly could to find out about their ancestors. And they get to learn like what their ancestors were like and why oh, they cool. decided to leave Sweden and go to America. Obviously, it's like yeah. all the time because they were starving and things like yeah. that. Um, You're yeah, tired so, of farming rocks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it was yeah. a hard our, life. Our Boulder farm was not kicking. So we we left. But yeah I'll, I'll find I'll find the title it's funny because it's um it's very like it reminds me a little bit of that British show skins or something but even less like over the top oh, I like it's just, skins it's like very mundane mm. teen drama so it's like oh the Swedish. <laughs> these two girls are like 
mad at each other because they have different friend groups now and one of them's like trying to be cool and like smoke cigarettes and drink and the other one's like weirded out by it and then she has a boyfriend but he's kind of controlling so they're breaking up but like oh my god but it's nice to just get a lot more of the um you know not bergman old swedish and not just like duolingo phrases i'm never going to use yeah but much more natural <laughs> cadence of uh of contemporary swedish totally yeah that would be perfect and also not always like having to be violent like murder mysteries because there's like so many of those but at some point it's like isn't there anything else we can watch (laughs) oh yeah that was um yeah because my partner is like i don't really want to watch something super upsetting and there was a while where i was finding all this swedish tv from the library's like online rental program and i'd be like oh what's this one about after a series of gruesome murders an alcoholic detective bubble i'm like nope nope okay what's this one about a serial killer is gruesome. <laughs> nope, nope, not that one. <laughs> yep, exactly. Or terrorists, you know. Um, the only thing that I find funny, though, is that one, when Swedish people are trying to do American accents, <laughs> that shit really cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. they're like, they always sound like they're like a cowboy from Texas kind of thing, no matter where they're supposed to be from. <laughs> yeah. well- it's hilarious. I, I feel like Americans have sinned even worse on that with our Swedish. <laughs> oh, <accent>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, there was there was a moment where I was deep diving on this and I found a, a Flintstones episode called The Swedish Visitors, um, which is funny because it's like it's late in the Flintstones. And like, you know, I, I remember just watching Flintstones as a kid and watching this. I was like, oh, you can tell that like this show's kind of running out of new ideas and is like not as good. <laughs> um, but um, you know, some Swedes move into the house and blah, blah, blah. There's this whole thing, but they have the really like, we are from Sweden, yeah, like <laughs> hokey accent. But then at the end, they play this ripping song in Swedish and it's so good. And I was like, what the heck is this song? And so I looked it up and uh, it was a Swedish musician um, who had made a song that was totally about the Flintstones and had like Flintstones imagery and all of that. And Hanna-Barbera reached out and we're like, dude, you, this is total copyright infringement. Like you can't do this. And he was like, no, Yabba Dabba Doo is a Swedish jazz term. It goes back to the twenties, which is a total lie. And then <laughs> Hanna-Barbera was like, okay, we know you're messing with us, but that's really funny. So here's the deal. You come on a Flintstones episode and we're like, we'll call it even. And uh, yeah, so I thought that was a really fun bit of Swedish history. <laughs> that is hilarious. I'm going to have to look that up and show it to Carl. Also, Carl says hi, by the way. I'm supposed to tell you that. Of course. Yeah. Hello. Well, I love I love your um your both Patreon missives. It's been very fun to um, continue to feel connected and synchronistic. There's been quite a few where I'm checking my email and I'm like well that's a very interesting essay about exactly what I'm experiencing today like okay or oh yep this was sent yesterday at the same time I was doing a weird magic thing didn't plan on that so I've uh, really loved that good I like it it's a magical community because pretty much everybody there is into magic not everybody but most people so it's nice to have a magical hub you have to get on the discord oh yeah well I'm so sad because for years I worked in an office where I had less work than than time and was constantly like trying to find things to read or friends to chat with online to keep myself entertained. 
And then when I left that, and now I work with clients where I'm not going to be on Discord while I'm sitting with a client. Now there's all these Discords and I'm like, oh, I would have loved to just sit in these Discords during my office job era. Uh, Yeah, that's what all these things are really for, all the social media and everything. People in offices, they can entertain themselves while they're working the grind. Yeah, I I, I sign in like once a day and I just answer everything and write to everybody and then I come back out. Yeah, I see some of the Discords and how active and I'll go and read through and I'm just like, wow. These people are working like 20% of the time at their job. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. fun. It's necessary. Yeah. <laughs> it's necessary. And I also have to tell everyone that you have a wonderful Patreon. Everybody should check out as well. And links to everything will be in the liner notes for this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's evolving all the time. And I'm kind of going through a, a bigger evolution with it right now. But um, the idea when I started the podcast was I... I think that, um, you know, there's passive listeners and that's great. Like if you're taking the time to tune in, you're part of the magic. But um, this idea of a ritual participant uh, in religious theory, there's this idea of cost. And so um, cost is kind of like, how much of a hassle is it to be part of this religion? You know, do you have to give up certain foods? Do you have to pray certain times of day? And, you know, there's pluses and minuses of that but generally higher cost religions have a tighter more involved community because you know we're really committed to this as opposed to kind of like a lapsed casual american christianity where i go to church on easter and it's like you know that's not really going to like show up for your funeral in quite the same way um so yeah i've i've tried to think about my patrons as you know the participants in this ritual and um loving the feedback loops and actually it was a listener named star from australia who had reached out right when i was heading to sweden to tell me about their journey into becoming a wizard and being inspired by some of the things i talked about and then i was coming back from sweden and i was like i've got this anniversary coming up and like i don't know what i want to do for it so i asked them i said what would you want to hear as like an anniversary thing? And they're like, oh, it'd be so cool to hear you do like kind of wizard mentoring for people and i was like great you want to be the first person? And they're like, absolutely. And so this whole talk to the wizard thing um, came from a patron. And I think those kind of feedback loops are really powerful. And um, one of the unique things we get as uh, creatives and content creators in uh, the modern era that I try and remember that every single listener is unique and special and not pay attention to numbers and stuff that who cares? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's more about having this community and this kind of feedback. I really like that too. And if people want to be passive, that's fine too. But I really do like the interaction. And it's very nice to have the Patreon and the Discord and everything. Now that I like can't stand social media more and more. It's like I go in and I post things like this episode or whatever. But I can't stand like, especially since now, like they want you to pay for Instagram and stuff or else you get like even more ads. And I can't take all these ads anymore. Mm -hmm. And and, like, yeah, Twitter is just a mess and it's most to get over. And it's just like, I feel like we, we, we lived the heyday of the fun social media and then like after everything politically like went down the toilet because of it it's just like not as fun as it was well (laughs) i think it's nice to have the patreon and the discord to talk to just like it's like an old chat room where you just like talk to people with similar interests and you don't get like crazy bots or mean people or like ads shoved in your face you know i think um there's a there's a writer um named ed zitron who calls it the um 
the rot economy, the growth rot economy, something like that. But I mean, you know, in nature, things that just grow forever and don't stop are cancers. And if we think about these social platforms growing, 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 as they grow past a scale that's manageable, they become filled with spam and misinformation and weird fringe politics and hate and ads and just all of this junk. And I think they're now these kind of bloated corpses that were were fleeing. Um, I, 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 for a while have been switching to try and think, um, especially as we talk more about AI, I think there's an interesting distinction where people are like, oh, chat GPT or Dolly or one of these things that just generate something that's stealing human creativity. That's bad. I don't want to interact with that machine. I'm going to go over here to TikTok, and I'm like, <laughs> well, TikTok is an AI. It's an algorithmic intelligence that is presenting content to you that was created by humans. Um, so it's kind of doing the same thing, but I would even argue in a worse way, because even though the content is more explicitly singular and quote unquote human generated, the humans are being conditioned to make the content that the algorithm thinks is best and you're being served it. And so it's not human intention. And I think that's where I've switched is I would rather read a newsletter that a single person has written where they're saying, here's the best AI generated content of the week than the opposite of having an AI say, here's the funniest human videos that we think you should see. And what I'm hoping is that we'll see a shift towards um, less scale oriented and more human centric social tools, because I don't need to be connected with everybody and I don't need new things at this point. Like we've kind of figured out what we want. We want to have some sort of feed where we can see stuff. We want to have an ability to post text, video, or images. We want to be able to message each other. And I miss because I'm not on Facebook anymore, events. On Instagram, I find it very hard when I'm like, hey, it's a Friday night. Like, what's interesting happening in town? And I log in and it's all a bunch of like random meme people or influencers. And I'm like, I don't care about you. Why can't I sort you into one bucket? And I want to see all my local friends. So I'm hoping that there's going to be a new era where we kind of recognize that AI should be um, brought to heel and I should have an algorithm that I'm able to control that is going out there and getting me stuff that I like and care about and has a beneficial relationship, um, not a parasitic one, but maybe I'm just an optimist. <laughs> nice. Was there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up or did you want to stop with that? Oh, um, is there anything else that I want to mention? Anything coming up? Anything you're working on? Anything at all? Well, I think um, let's do something that I like to do on my podcast. Okay. So on my podcast at the end of an episode, um, I like to come up with a spell in collaboration with my guest. And the spell is generally something small because I think, you know, giant rituals that are going to take six months are beautiful, but most listeners aren't going to bother with it. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in recognizing how an action can change your whole world. How because you and I recommend something and if somebody goes out and does it, then they read a book that they wouldn't have read and that book gives them a new idea and that leads them to the thing and then suddenly blah, 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 blah. So um, let's come up with a little spell collaboratively. But not cut ups. 
but not cut-ups. Because that, That's if you want the cut-up spell, you got to come listen to the episode that you did on my podcast. Perfect. Okay, yeah. what kind of spell? Well, you know, um, the 30th is a magical day for you. So maybe I'll get this out earlier in the week next week. And maybe on the 30th, people can do something magical if they have an intention to become something, whether it's a wizard or anything else that they would like to become in their life. Maybe that's a good time to kind of set their own intention to move that mm -hmm. process forward like you did. I think that's great. And so what I would recommend is thinking about where you are now and in one way, reaching back to your past self to think about a you that was maybe struggling. You know, if there was a time period that was really challenging and you've moved through it, how would you send magical energy back to that self that was, you know, in Florida in 2008 and had just lost your counseling position and was like, ah, and send this message of like, don't worry, you've got this. You're going to live in a beautiful house in Sweden. Like it's coming, like follow the breadcrumbs. Let's go this way. And I think that can be very powerful. However, your magical practice, you can write yourself a letter, you can visualize it, whatever you feel like doing. And then at the same time, thinking about a you in the future. And especially if you feel like you're struggling right now, reaching out to that future you that's like, okay, me when I've, you know, if I'm, if I'm single and frustrated when I found somebody or when I'm frustrated with work, when I find like a career that I'm excited about or whatever it might be reaching out to that future self and asking for some aid and guidance. And then knowing that of course, that aid and guidance is going to show up in the form of synchronicity, in the form of unexpected happenstance, and then just kind of opening yourself up to that, to uh, listen to the birds and see where they lead. Wonderful. And people are also able to work with you, right? Remotely. How would they get Absolutely. in touch with you? Sure. So um, to find out about my wizard stuff, you can go to personisawake.com or find me on Instagram, although I'm not there that often on personisawake um, or personisawake at Gmail if you just want to email me. Um, but then my uh, hypnotherapy business is changeyourmindky.com. And uh, you can just submit a request through there. I'll be happy to get on the phone with you and talk about hypnosis. Uh, hypnosis works great for remote sessions. I have a lot of clients all over the world. And what's really fun is, you know, when somebody knows about the wizard side. So if you're interested in magic and psychology and you're unconscious, um, let me know when you reach out because that is my favorite thing because we can really create these wonderful spells and rituals and, um, I have clients that I work with. I, I have different packages, but I have ones that are like, you know, eight sessions and we'll work together for a while. And it's always so fun for me somewhere around session four or five where we get to say, hey, do you remember what you came here for in the first place? And they go, oh, my God, I don't even do that anymore. I haven't even thought about that issue. And it's like, yeah, we're on to new things. So that's that's a big joy. So uh, I would love to hear from you. Reach out uh, with questions, comments, anything at all. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Devin. It's been lovely to chat with you. Absolutely, Vanessa. I'm looking forward to seeing you and Carl and Linnea soon uh, in Sweden next year. Absolutely. And you have to come back on Rendering Unconscious sometime next year, too. Anytime. Perfect. Bye. Hey, Dor. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Devin Pearson. 
Be sure to check out his podcast. This podcast is a ritual. Support his work at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash this podcast is a ritual. To learn more about his wizardry, visit personisawake.com. And to learn about his practice of hypnosis, visit changeyourmindky.com. Follow him on social media at personisawake at Instagram and changeyourmindky at Instagram. You can also follow me at Instagram at rawsin underscore as well as at Twitter. At TikTok, you can find me at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23. Huge thanks to Carl Abrahamson for providing the intro and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. You can check out Carl's website, carlabrahamson.com, where he's just started a way to subscribe to his writing via his website. Look at the tabs on the top of the page and click on Sign Up to receive exclusive content from Carl every week. You can also follow him on Instagram at carl.abrahamson and Twitter at C.A. Abrahamson as well as Tic Tac at Carl Abrahamson. Links to everything can be found in the liner notes accompanying this episode as well as at renderingunconscious.org. And now the song, I've Changed My Mind, from the brand new album, a collaboration I did with Pete Murphy called Disturbance. You can find the full album at Pete Murphy's Bandcamp page, petemurphy.bandcamp.com. And you can find our other albums streaming at Spotify. Just search for Vanessa Sinclair and Pete Murphy. Enjoy. The who, the why, the how. Also, I am myself, themselves, just ready to tell me who heard some that formerly in him. Equally well, line of descent up from the pan. Again, make a simultaneously revealing and confronting the semiotic concerned with first things. Let it happen. I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. mind.